Happy spring, everybody. I hope you're surviving this horrific allergy season. <coughs> Whoa, I'm coughing already. <clears throat> I'm on my second cup of coffee. I have recovered. I've come out of the dead of the allergies. Two weeks of just my head underwater. And uh, the miracle worker was a neti pot. And my relationship with the neti pot is like a lot of relationships in my life. People are like, yo, you got to check. You got to check this out. You gotta check this thing called out like a neti pot, like eight years ago, and one person was just like, oh man, that's just like putting water up your nose. It's not that cool. Uh, so for like eight years, this is a story. Let's call it 12 years. And then I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting water up my nose. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, I'm getting a phone call. Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna send them the can I call you later reply. <laughs> I like to do it. There, this person who's calling me too. I have a really long uh, voicemail right now, and they won't. They definitely won't leave one because they won't sit through it because it's like over a minute. Anyway, okay. So I didn't check out a neti pot. I was like, I couldn't hear on for three days. I was just horrible taking this pseudoephedrine. Pseudoephedrine actually makes me psychotic. Like I actually. I think it like actually clinically affects me and I'm ready to murder someone at the end of the day after a day of pseudoephedrine. So anyway, someone, whatever, the point of the story is they're like, dude, it will change your life. It'll change your life. And I was just desperate. I was like, I'll neti pot. I'll put water up my nose. I don't care. So I did the neti pot and literally within five minutes, my ear unclogged and I could speak and my overall level of happiness. And usually I say like a 10 or 15%. I think I was up by like 50 to 75% happier after checking out the neti pot. So I'm like a fully converted, huge fan of neti pot. I like the whole process. I don't do the distilled water. I just boil the water. And then my friend was very, he's like, it's okay. You boil it for five minutes. Then you let it sit for 52 minutes. Like such specific. He's such a OCD specific guy. I'm like, eh, it sounds good. Let's do it. And I'll shove this up my nose. Anyway, check out the neti pot. I have been a little bit delayed in this next awesome conversation with Sam Blakelock. Truly an amazing, amazing individual. I think he's as cool as it gets. I'm going to sip my coffee. Um, even before I get to Sam, hold on, hold on. I want to say thank you to everybody for checking out the Solo Shred podcast and the, my friends who came to the single release show. I mean, it took me like a week to get that out. I'm like, I just, I'm into like hanging out. You know what I mean? I value hanging out. You know, doing work is like really secondary. That's why you become a musician. You're like, oh, I'm just going to hang out. So thank you for checking that one out and for checking out Weed and Rosé, which I'm I think is a hilarious song. And then, you know, you do a podcast and you do a song and then everybody, basically everybody was talking to me about my taxes because I revealed that I didn't pay taxes for like six years. So I paid my taxes this year. Everything is cool. It's, I recommend everybody pay their taxes. Anyway, okay. Podcast news. Sam Blakelock is the main dude. 
I think he is actually a genius, and he's talented, and he's incredibly hardworking and disciplined. So it's no surprise that Sam Blakelock could be a neurosurgeon, he could be a real estate lawyer, he could be anything he wants. He decided to go into music, and then he decided to take over social media, and he literally did. If you don't know who he is, he runs his main page, We could is called Pickup, just one word, that has 400,000 followers on Instagram. His other page is called Pickup Jazz, which was what Pickup originally was. It has 100,000 followers. And then his personal page has 80,000 followers. And pretty much all he does is play guitar and put it on the internet. Like, I think it's like two videos a day and one. He's, he's like a, he's a social media celebrity. I ask him, like, how many times you get noticed? You're walking down the street. People are like, oh, my God, it's Sam Blakelock. I met Sam. And we talk about this a little bit. Um. I met Sam, he's from the cruise ship crew, which is a whole bunch of like Peter Pans living in New York. And that's not a gender thing, it could be man or female, I'm just saying it's like you go onto the cruise ship and you live this fantasy life for these few years, which is really hilarious and fascinating. Uh, I could never ever do that gig because I remember in the early days of YouTube, and I, did, Sam, when you're re-listening this, I don't really talk about this, but literally, literally, early YouTube videos was me watching like hundred foot waves go over um, cruise ships, and that was kind of it. I have a a rational fear of the ocean. That is not an irrational fear. That is a real fear. Like the idea of being on a ship with like. 3,000 people from the Midwest sounds literally horrible to me. And then just getting tossed into the ocean. I mean, come on. I saw Titanic like four times in the 90s. You know what I mean? I was I was there. No way. No way, hombre, am I going on a cruise ship. So Sam's from the cruise ship scene. We met on a musical called Full House, written by this dude, Bob and Tobley. That's probably not their real pen names or whatever, but... <clears throat> They're super chill dudes, just like smoking cigarettes, stressed out in front. And they'd be like, yeah, we're doing Friends. I think Friends is literally on Broadway. Sam and I met in the back, and he was just, that's where he kind of, I watched him kind of blossom this whole Instagram community. It's been fascinating to watch. And then he works at Carnegie Hall now, doing their social media. He does social media campaigns for like, you know, George Benson. What? Probably other huge profile people that... You're like, this dude, he's he's badass. He's incredibly badass. Sam, you're a badass. And he's the most modest, humble, chill, disciplined dude. He talks about taking cold showers in here. And after I re-listened to this conversation, I was like, oh, I'm going to take a cold shower so I can like relate my experiences to taking a cold shower. Because my wife does that where like the last like 30 seconds are cold. Sam just takes all cold showers. He's He's... He's crazy. He's crazy, man. I'm chilling out, eating a sandwich. This dude just did 79 really productive things. And that's, the world needs those people. You know what I mean? I do what is called productive nasal gazing. Well, at least that's what my wife calls it. Or she tries to justify my lifestyle of just sitting around, talking to myself into a microphone. <laughs> anyway, y'all, I'm going to play some music by Sam. The first piece that you're going to hear right when this is done is called Waterfalls and Reverb. It's like a four guitar. It's really beautiful. As I mentioned in the solo shred, Sam's energy, you know, we code shift into a medium energy thing. I fed him caffeine and he's still, I mean, he's like an even Steven Zen. 
God, you know what I mean? I'm totally a car wreck up and down, up and down all day on the caffeine train. So I've, I fed him caffeine and he's still, you'll hear me, I'm shaking so much because he's so mellow. You can hear me like, my foot's like shaking. Like, uh, uh, uh. Anyway. Uh, and then after he ends the podcast in a funny, funny way, he's like, play, cue the theme music. And it's going to be his song. Now, the title that he sent me, it says, pick up offhand. I assume the piece is called offhand and it was a piece he used for pickup jazz. Anyway, y'all, it's beautiful music. He's a monster guitar player, a monster musician, cool dude, stylish dude, smart dude, hilarious dude. I clearly have a man crush. I'm just, yes, I have a man crush on Sam Blakelock. I would like to be like him, but I don't think I'm going to take cold showers and be as disciplined about posting online as I he, I mean, he's the master. He's the master. We all have a lot to learn from Sam Blakelock. So please enjoy this conversation and please check out the neti pot. And I hope your allergies are in check and you're having a phenomenal spring and a phenomenal day. I will talk to you all oh so soon. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live, kicking it real. Big people, big poppy. We are with the man of the hour, the man of the world. He's running New York. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Blakelock. Thanks for having me, Paul. This is awesome. Thank you for setting this up. We're in a very cool rehearsal space. Top secret. Don't tell though. secret rehearsal space in beautiful Manhattan. We have the coolest. Sam, your style is impeccable. You have the coolest socks from Uniqlo. I just got these last night, and they're way too warm. My feet are sweating right now. Sweaty feet. <laughs> they're not like spring-appropriate socks. No. No? Your style's on point, dude. I'm only looking. And this watch, is this? This is a Casio uh, old-school watch. I had a black one. This is a gold one. You know, I wanted a bit of a, a, a bling without spending too much. So yeah. that's what this watch <laughs> this does. This is getting master of the bling. I love your style, bro. As I was, I... Peruse, you know, I like did Facebook stalking of you first thing this morning. Oh, God. And I like, you're just a hip cat. I'm like looking at your pictures from 2012, and I was like, this guy's always in fashion. He's always in style. Thanks, man. But this is what I'm talking about first. It's all right. So, Sam, you are guitarist extraordinaire. Multi-instrumentalist, really. Mm. You play bass. Do you play little keys, too? Just enough. Just enough to get through music school, piano. Exactly, music school, piano. Competency. Yes. Do you play keys at home or? 
I yeah, like MIDI keyboard. Like if I'm like trying to write a track, not not a very good track, but I can play enough of that. But studied it at school and got forced to play piano, so just enough. Did you grow up with a piano in the house or anything? Yeah, always. My whole family were musicians, just hobbyists. So there's always pianos around, songbooks around. Wow. So that explains it all. You come from a family of musicians. A family of people who like playing music but never got to do it professionally. So I was like the guy who did that. Really? When your mother or your father or like singers, did you guys sit around and sing tunes? We would or? like have a family band and all sit around and sing songs. They were usually like church uh, songs back in New Zealand. And my, my sister would play drums. My brother or my dad would play bass. Um, everyone would play keys. Everyone could play drums. Um, and we just had flam- family jams. Flamly. Flamly jams. <laughs> and, Dude, that's amazing, though. And who is singing? Uh, everyone. Me, pretty probably the worst of them all. <laughs> was it like, and what is like the, what was the religion? What's the predominant uh, religion in the, the Blakelock household? Just, um, I think it was a Baptist church, but just super chill um, Christianity. Yeah. And the Baptists, they're known for being super musicians, right? Yeah. It's a, I, th- I don't know the specifics. We, I think I stopped going it before high school. So this was like pre-15-year-old Sam. Wow. I feel like so many musicians, right? Like all of them. My father was a singer in church. And I would kind of, I started playing guitar, backing him up, you know? I was like, well, those are my, some of my first gigs is playing church gigs and like strumming G and C and D mm. and then he, they would always like be like do you want to sing and I was like no I'm, I'm very content with the guitar you know mm. and that kind of like leads into the guitar hole a little bit did that kind of happen for you like you're like I don't I'm not a singer I'm not a front person I really like music but is this is this what led to the path of you know being the shredder of bebop heads that you are now or yeah, I was just never really that strong at singing, so it's nice as a guitarist we can have a little moment, step up, take the solo, but, you know, be chill at the back. So that kind of fit my personality and what I wanted to do. Yeah. What kind of led you into jazz then? Because growing up, Auckland, Christchurch, New mm-hmm. Zealand. About as far away from jazz as you could possibly <laughs> be, to be honest. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I actually wanted to be Jack Johnson, the singer-songwriter. And um, I had heard that jazz was the hardest music apart from classical. So the thinking was study jazz, become a master of jazz and play anything. Mm. It didn't end up working like that, but that was, the, that was my thinking. So then I studied undergraduate jazz um, in order to play like Jack Johnson. <laughs> but it turns out to get good at jazz, you have to actually love it. So I, along the way, I lost, lost the Jack Johnson thing and just become, you know, really enamored by jazz and, and spent hours working at it. Wow. That's, okay. That's amazing. That's, let's go back to Jack Johnson, though. Let's was, do it. What, what year, then, was this, maybe, specifically? This was pre-2012, so it's probably 2007 to 12. I pretty much only listened to one person. It was Jack Johnson. He came to New Zealand. I had a CD that I made myself. I was at the front row, sprinted up up to the front, I was lying outside for three hours and threw that thing on the stage. I think, oh. I think it was like, yo, dude, you need to like cut my leg off with that CD. <laughs> um, and we, so I was a big fan. You were, <laughs> you were aggressive even then. This is, <laughs> you, th- 
threw a record at Jack Johnson on at his stage. own show and he <laughs> called you out? He was like... No, he didn't see it. I think maybe the bass player was like... <laughs> Why did this guy just throw a record at us? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And, was, and it was a CD of your own original tunes? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they'll probably be on MySpace still. They're still on MySpace, right? It's just acoustic guitar, voice. Is that it? That's the whole recording? Or was I think it fully I was like, produced? Yeah, like, I would produce some stuff at home, yeah. You didn't, like, have a producer? and Oh, no. Yeah, you were, was, like, plugged like into the 15. machine of... Yeah, it was just... Yeah. You were just having fun. Yeah. That's amazing. And so you... <laughs> this is such a great story. So you were, like... Okay, I'm gonna become a master of music to, yeah. to play these Jack Johnson tunes, <laughs> yeah. and then just fell into the jazz hole. And so, was it specifically a course of study of jazz, or was it just general music? At what? Then tell me the name of your college. Then it was called Christchurch Polytechnic Institute of Technology, CPIT. Sip <laughs> <laughs> it. But Sip I got it. a degree through Canterbury University. At the time, it was just 100% jazz. I think since then they've kind of moved to more of a pop um, curriculum. So it was a three-year course um, studying jazz, and then at the end I did a double major in arranging and performance, so I stayed a fourth year. And it was very practical, a theory, a few essays, and I pretty much lived in the building from 10 a.m. to midnight every day, weekends, for about three, four years. And it was just jazz guitar, jazz guitar, jazz guitar, or? I would be doing pop gigs, funk gigs afterwards. I'd be gigging like three times a week mm -hmm. um, in Christchurch. Um, yeah. Did you have like original projects too? The Jack Johnson project was still kind of simmering on the side? I stopped the singing, singer-songwriter thing, and just became a guitar player in Christchurch with bands, um, like background gigs, pubs, restaurants. Mm. Um, the odd tour throughout New Zealand. Wow. And I, I feel like there is a, a, a strong community of live music, like appreciation and performance that is happening in New Zealand. It's kind of the vibe I get. I don't know. Mm. I have not been there, so. But I feel like all of the Australians I know is like every bar has bands mm. every Friday and Saturday. Like, that's just what we're doing. We're going and checking out bands. Was that kind of the vibe? Yeah, there's people making a living playing music, mm. um, like here most of them teach as well, especially in my town. I think, uh, this, so there's three big cities in New Zealand, there's Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, in Christchurch there's probably not many people playing music full time, most of them teach at a university or kids. In Wellington I had mates just playing jazz, creative music full time, which is pr pretty admirable even from New York, not Very many people impressive. do that. Yeah. Uh, in Auckland. The cost of living is a, is a bit higher, so most people teach and do a bunch of things. But people do appreciate music. They also just like raving out to DJs, just like here. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's definitely doable to just play music and, and have, a, have a good time. That's beautiful. So you did four years, and then what happened? Right after the end of college, where were you going to, what was the next step? Just go back to Jack Johnson or? So yeah, I'd forgotten about the Jack Johnson thing. I don't know how that happened. And uh, I wanted to get out of New Zealand, and a lot of graduates from the school performed on cruise ships all around the world. So that was in the back of my mind. But to be good at, uh, to get that gig, you had to be really good at sight reading. So 
I started practicing sight reading and it took me about a year or two to feel confident enough for that. And then there was an earthquake in Christchurch. I think this was 2010 probably. And it kind of destroyed all the venues in the city centre, or the whole city centre was destroyed. So there was a period of three to six months where there weren't many gigs, and then gigs did pop up, but they were, you know, in abandoned parking lots or makeshift venues or, like, container buildings. And then that really pushed me to jump on a cruise ship to kind of escape that and find other opportunities, which I was planning to do anyway, but that's why I did 2012. It happened a little sooner maybe than you anticipated. Yeah. The earthquake, we were like, okay, this is... Yeah, it was, a, it was pretty tough for musicians because, um, uh, yeah, the venues went away. And uh, when people's house has like, got a split down it, then perhaps they don't want to spend like 20 bucks on a gig. <clears throat> yes, this is... Right, right when I moved to New York was after 9-11, and I remember musicians telling me, like, yeah, that... I had a day job for two years because of this. Like it Interesting. Just shut the city down, you know? Like, so I can only imagine. To go back to your undergraduate collegiate study, just because I'm mm. curious, did you have a specific guitar player that you were really emulating and really studying at school? Yeah, there was a bunch. Um, just thinking now, there was a book by this guy, Grant Green. I just would work my way through that. Before every recital each semester, I would um, watch a DVD, Diana Crow live in Paris with, what's his name, the guitar player? He's from LA. Russell Malone? The other guy that plays with her. Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes, it will come to us. It's like, ha, wow. <laughs> his name has that type of sound. <laughs> yes. Not Howard, but... It's... I know who you're talking about. He's a smoking bebop player. Yeah, like but just like, very LA, and he, he doesn't really perform much over here now. Um, okay, him. Gosh, this guy, Ernest Raglan, he's a Jamaican guitar player. He mm. was he was uh, very inspirational. Also, just some local guys in Christchurch who had studied the greats, so they were immediately in front of me, so I was very influenced by them. They were like a West Montgomery clone or like a Benson clone or like into the Metheny thing or... So the school I was at, it wasn't very traditional, and actually we skipped a lot of the bebop language and a lot of the traditional jazz language, and they were really encouraging of us to write our own music and, like, jump out there and create crazy music, like listen to, like, Bobo Stenson and these people from Norway and uh, Scandinavia where it's a bit more open and experimental. So we kind of skipped a bunch of the bebop, the two fives. We know we did enough to, to pretend to play them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was good and bad, good because I was very creative. For my senior recital, I composed like eight songs. They were like colors, and there was like these little micro songs. Um, but, you know, fast-forwarding, when I came to New York, I realized I'd missed a bunch of stuff, you know. Could, couldn't really play um, Cherokee at 280. <laughs> Donnelly at 320, yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that's... That's fascinating to me, but but brilliant education, you know what I mean? Because they're encouraging you to do your own thing, yeah. which eventually you could take and market that, maybe put these little seeds of your mm-hmm. businessman in you. Where did the seeds of your your business savvy come from then, maybe? The so school? My family isn't b- business people at all. Um, I was always creative, like, but it was always 
my own solo branding, you know, I got a gig, I make a poster, or I got a band, I'll make the poster. I make a website for this. How do I make a website? Figure out it with WordPress. So like I was accumulating these like small skills along the way. Mm. Um, and then when I came over here to New York, sorry, I keep skipping ahead. It's all right. It's fine. We can realize need, get in. Yeah. Realized I needed a day job, realized I had all these skills. So that's how I ended up working at Carnegie Hall doing uh, marketing and coding HTML and emails, even though I didn't study that. <laughs> But it's an incredibly practical skill in, in modern life Turns out life it's right a now. good skill to have. Yeah, yeah. And the, which you just taught yourself. Totally. Online tutorials. Yeah, YouTube, just figuring it out. Just doing it, yeah. yeah. Just like playing music repetition. So, yes, you, you, hit, you graduated from a very cool progressive school, Earthquake, mm-hmm. and then the old cruise ship yep. circus. Right which out. is how, you know, long story short, is how we met through a mutual friend who performed on a cruise ship. Absolutely. And there's, you guys are the coolest guys. There's that whole scene of those cats. Everybody is so cool. You're kind of like these landlocked people who like had this just fantasy life where people were taking out your trash, <laughs> giving you <laughs> Making drinks. Making your bed. <laughs> Making your bed. <laughs> I have a bed. I mean, you know all these guys. I'm telling you stories. You already know. He was like, he's like, I never wanted to leave. I didn't have to take out the trash. I think he did it for 12 years or something, you know? Yeah, people stay on there. i got friends who are still on there. It's, it's a, they're living in this fantasy world and where people make their bed every morning, they get paid a bunch, and they're drinking Coronas in for Mexico like a for a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, man, Sam, that's an, uh, that's, so I remember I never wanted to go on a cruise. I have like a fear of the ocean, huh. right? So <clears throat> I was always asked, and I was like, no, I think I would go on a cruise ship, and the, the wave would come and tumble and knock the ship over. Like I, my earliest YouTube memories are like watching 100-foot waves. Uh, so this is – I couldn't – I never I, – you know, I have my – so the some of our friends like who – did this gig and connected through this. They were like, you want to do this? It's like a two-week month. I was like, I'm, I can't do it, man. I can't. I feel uncomfortable on the ocean, like, yeah. out in this. But I regret that. You have probably seen the – you've circumnavigated the whole globe. You've seen all of Europe. You've seen the Bahamas. You've seen, you know, Asian culture, right? What were some of the, the highlights of the cruise years, the, the, the Peter Pan years, if you will, mm-hmm. you know? Well, first time in the Caribbean was great just because, you know, it was so famous coming out of New Zealand. It was very, I was very far removed from that. So once I did that, it wasn't that good because it's very um, commercialized and it's just jewelry shops and, and that type of thing. And it's really hard to actually experience the culture until you drive inland. Yeah. And a lot of the Mexican ports were like that as well. But it was still really cool, especially Mexico. I love that. But uh, the highlights would be... Um, Mediterranean and uh, Scandinavia, nor- Northern Europe, really enjoyed Norway, Sweden, because um, often those cities are built where the, the big ships can pull up right there. So mm. you're like, boom, in the middle of Oslo, and you're drinking Tim Wendelbo's like, craft coffee, and it tastes like it, if an angel and a cow like created a baby and made milk, and then that was in the coffee. That was what it was like. Oh, perfection. Just yeah. complete nirvana. You were just like, oh, my God. Yeah, but then times that by, you know, a new port every day in the Mediterranean, all the cities are so close that you hit port after port, so there's not much sea days. Mm. Um, 
But then there'll be all these rules like you can only be on land for like 50% of the days, the other 50% you have to stay on the ship in case there's an emergency. So then you'll be on the ship just chilling by the pool or not really practicing because you perform a lot, four yeah. hours every day. So I didn't really want to see the guitar. Yeah, after the four hours. And what <clears throat> some of the things about those gigs like I find interesting, was it like a different book every night? Or were you on the sort of gig where you're doing like, you know, the Beatles catalog every night? Or what was what was your experience a musically? Book of 400 songs. There's, I mean, there's four books. Eventually they got an iPad. Just all genres. Um, and there'll be guest entertainers maybe uh, two a week. And that will be a brand new hour show, which we would rehearse that morning and perform that evening. Did you enjoy that part of it? That was the best part. That was the most challenging part. These entertainers um, who would join the ship, and that was like that's like what you think of when you th- like an old school cruise ship gig, like yeah. this Las Vegas virtuoso violin player who brings on his like really fast polka music, and and there's all these tricky lines, and you're like sight reading it, and then <laughs> you get one rehearsal and, and then do the gig. And then hopefully it doesn't train wreck. Yeah. But that that only happened sporadically because, um, you know, more and more they would try and have the on the cast on the ship to do the shows. And then there would be backing tracks and then it will be 80s MIDI. And then you might be even just faking it. Mm. It got to that point. You were doing the air guitar on stage? I did a lot of faking. I had yeah. angel wings. I, I was wearing, you know, costumes. Yeah. The stage would be, like, turning around. I wouldn't even be plugged in. Yeah. You were looking good. <laughs> The drummer's in the cage that's flipping around. You're like, yeah. Yeah, that, that whole world is, is fascinating to me because I never took that step. Two weeks would be great, though. You know, I Two weeks is all you need? I would do yeah. that again. Like, in, yeah. If, if the ocean thing wasn't an issue for you, I reckon it would be, it'd be fun. But, I mean, you got all these chops and you got to play all these, all these different genres. This is a great experience for you, you know? It was, yeah. Well, you, you did that for about three years. Yeah, three years on and off. And where would you call home when you weren't doing that? Right back to... Yeah, I'd be... I did three or four years on and off, so I'd often between the ships yeah. deviate my flight and just chill with a friend. And uh, somewhere... I, I came to New York a bunch. This is how I first uh, discovered New York in between ships. But yeah. then I'd always go back home. Yeah. And then is this where your love of New York came? Where you're like, this is the city. This is the international stomping ground that... Yeah, Sam I got, I got to taste it. Yeah, um, but it's quite different visiting New York and living in here. Mm. Do you know, like I would come here for three months, and the bank account would be looking very good post cruise ship, and then just kind of enjoy it. But it's very different to making it work practically here, as I'm sure you know. The hustle, the hustle of New York. Do you love it? You love New York. Yeah, I love the hustle and the opportunity, and there's always more. But uh, like in the past. You know, I pretty much said yes to anything until a year ago, like gigs, opportunities, yes to coffee, this, yes to this. And now finally I'm like, no, I'm going to keep my Saturday free. Or like, no, I'm not going to do this gig or I'm not going to do that because the hustle takes its toll. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely true, right? Yeah. It's an exhausting city. Sometimes I liken it to, you know, standing in the middle of a gigantic river with your arms wide open it's just washing over you you could go out and do anything all night all day and then people like come here like how do you sleep how do you how do you do anything how how do you how do you not freak out you know what i mean i feel like everybody comes to new york after those three months and then you start to have this frazzled moment where you're freaking out and then you're like 
you have to say no sometimes. Yeah. You need to take a day. And especially as like independent contractors like us, right? It's like there's no days off. There's no even a day off is spent working on some other work that has to be done, you know? Mm. So you got to New York. This is the jazz was just pumping through your veins. You were like, you were <laughs> you were ready to just imbibe Parker heads and deep Coltrane, or was it just you saw that as a vehicle into what you could do here in New York? Yeah, it was the later. I, I was never like 100% jazz dude. Like I did my masters on a Stratocaster. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like currently so in vogue, right? Like you're, you're Wayne Krantz meets... Yeah, but I would like have very like clean tone, like trying to play like, um, like Wiz, but on a Strat. <laughs> <laughs> Your teacher, Lugga Loon, looking at you like, what is this? Dog? Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> he's a great teacher, though. Yeah, so it was the later. It was, I needed to, I wanted to be here because of the opportunity, and I had, had this degree in music. I was pretty good at guitar, so I, I got a few scholarships from back home. So the tourist visa study, my master's was like, ticket in. Mm. Also, I was pretty into, into uh, jazz, you know? Yeah. I'm not like proper jazz guys, you know, who are out at like Fat Cat, like I'm not like that type of jazz guy. I can, I know the language and I've studied it for like 10 years and I can, you know, use the language, but I'm, I'm not like a jazz jazz. It's okay. <laughs> you guys, there's like this element to the jazz community and culture that this purest culture where you guys all hate on each other. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, <laughs> I don't, and I don't like it to be honest. So no, like, none of you guys like it, but it like it continues to permeate. It's like, because sometimes I think, you know, what I like about it is it's just fun. It's just improvis improvising yeah. music. I can't say that word, but it's like those guys, when, sometimes when you listen to like those recordings, it's like these dudes were having so much fun. You know, mm. for me personally, and I, you know, Sam, I didn't, I took, my ticket into New York was transferring from a classical guitar program. And I thought I would study jazz too, because I wanted to just be a pop rocker, right? Mm. I heard the 20 guitar players at the college I was looking at, and I said, good God, man, there's no way I can touch or have the desire to get as deep into this this mythical thing that, you know, I was like, okay, I'm immediately out. So I have this, you know, I still, like, I still think, you know, I, I didn't study Lydian Dominant Licks for four years. So in my mind, this is still just so cool. You know, like, I didn't listen to Sunny Side of the Street until about a month ago. And then I listened to it for two weeks straight. And I was like, this is an unbelievable record. You know what I mean? I wasn't in a, a place as a 20-year-old to, like, understand or, or appreciate it, you know? Mm. But it's funny because I think that all of you guys, there's, like this, this bitterness and that stems from the institution. You know what I mean? I don't think it's not from the music. You know that. You know, it's like oh, I'm not a jazz guy. Uh, you know, because but you you can hang with those cats. You know what I mean? It's like our level of hanging. Mm. Like you can hang harder than me, so I can't. I'm like, well, I just thought it was cool, man. I'm just yeah. gonna. But I could never ever fathom spending a night at Fat Cat. That sounds like the worst night possible. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that's like you do that once. You're like, that's cool, man. Yeah. Okay. And so was that like a two year study or one year maybe? I don't even know what it a was. Master's degree a is really jazz. fantastic course because it wasn't very long. I think it was only three semesters, so a year and a half, and then I extended it probably another six months. Um, so it was a really quick course, really mm. fantastic. 
practical course at Queen's College, um, CUNY. But yeah, jazz is kind of institutionalized at the moment and it's supported through the educational system. Often you go through and study to become and then go and teach back at the school. So it's kind of like this closed loop, which is a bit detached from reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I learned how to play guitar, got lessons off great guys, but, you know, I think it was it's a bit of an outdated methodology mm-hmm. and detached from what, you know, a lot of people were listening to. Because, you know, there's more people than ever listening to live music. There's live shows that are going up, Live Nation, like the numbers of people attending live shows up, like oh. the music record industry is going back up, like since streaming back to you know, in the past three years. So there's, like, no reason to be, like, digging yourself in a hole for music that people don't appreciate too much. Mm. Or convincing yourself, you know what I mean? Someone's telling yeah. you. You're just, like, eating from the hand. You're like, okay, yeah. I'll do it. Yes. But there, I'm sure you have no regrets for all the time that you spent with the egg timer working out these bebop. Oh, yeah, right? like, just putting a metronome on for, like, an hour and just practicing this very slowly yeah i have that all on my fingers i've got that technique now i know I, I can like hang enough i think without being too humiliated hum- humiliated yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know every step was important and that that led to where i am today yeah. so it's all good and then so where did your passion for like the r&b like modern funk the, guitar did that kind of start to begin then or did this where did that because when i met you in the pit for the fabulous full house musical i thought you were the hippest cat i was like this dude this dude is on to some shit he is checking out cool guitar cool guitar little did i know that you would become the tastemaker for the whole guitar internet because what's funny to me is like everybody now cops this style that I feel like you just, you washed over everybody. You know, your taste, and we were all like, it's like, how do you know that shit? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of what is a, like an invoke sound. I'm like, man, that's so much delay. That's so smooth. That's so reverby. Is that Sam Blakelock on guitar? <laughs> you know, like, that's your, that's your shit. You know what I mean? Did that kind of <clears throat> start then or do you know where that came from or do you want to talk about yeah let's talk about it i've actually thought about this and how it all worked so this was 2000 and like 15 16 Mm -hmm. actually i met this guy on a cruise ship he was in the bb king show band and i was i'd never seen a guy play like him he was from the church and he, he had this articulation and the style, and he put me onto all these incredible gospel guitarists. I didn't know that was a thing. Mm. So I started listening to gospel music um, and church musicians, people like Kim Burrell, like listened to a ton of her, Fred Hammond, and then discovered the guitarists that played with all of them. Um, and a lot of guys were doing it as well. Mm. Um, and there was this thing called Guitar Summit, which is in North Carolina, so I went down there three years and discovered this whole scene and, and, and realized that it was crossing over between uh, gospel and pop and it had been for many years, you mm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't just me who was into it. Um, there was a lot of like young guys, like 18 to 21 who were into it. I was probably, you know, a good two years post that emergence of that sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that came to probably a crescendo when John Mayer hired Isaiah Sharkey last year to play in his touring band. Mm-hmm. And that's when everyone's like, what is this new sound? Everyone who's been listening to it for the past five years is like, this is not a new sound. This was like early days for Instagram. 
So like all right, 15, 16, discover this sound, um, discover all these new guitar players from a gospel tradition, mm-hmm. then start trying to apply that to the jazz stuff, which I learned. Um, by the way, if anyone's listening, want to check it out, check out Paul Castelluzzo. He's the, the number one dude for that. Also Matt Zara, he's like 18 in London, also killing. Yeah, but the the guys of that style is Isaiah Sharkey and then um, Spanky Alfred is the the granddaddy of all that. And then George Benson and Joe Pass would be the ones above him. Mm. The lineage. Yeah, that's the... Guitar, yeah, so yeah. I studied that and was very enamored by it and really kind of tried to learn the style. I'm, I'm still approximating that style. I'm, not, I'm still trying to... You know, but I, I'm quite unique that I've studied jazz and I've also studied that style, so bringing them both together has a quite unique sound mm-hmm. and I'm trying to still refine it and focus that so it only sounds like me. Yeah. And so how did you hear about the Guitar Summit then? That... Through this guitar player on the cruise ship, that's he said, right. Check yeah. these cats out. Go to this. So you went to this in North Carolina. Yeah. Where in North Carolina is it? Chapel. Chapel. Oh, Durham. Sorry. Durham. It's just a gathering of gospel guitar players. Yeah, uh, gospel like the top. all the musicians are like bass, drums, keys, or just no, specific. Now it's all musicians. It's run by this guy Kevin Wilson. Um, in Durham, North Carolina, everyone flies out from LA, Atlanta, New York, the top like church musicians and touring musicians. And they all come together, they teach these workshops. It's kind of low key. Um, and then you can attend it, you stay in the hotel. So I did that three years in a row and just really sitting up there and watching like quartet guitar players just, you know, do, do a little shout riffing and just till 2 a.m. in the lobby was was for you know in New York I'm pretty much just a white dude from New Zealand in New Zealand I'm like a half white guy but anyway not black guy yeah. coming over here and seeing that that was like really cool yeah like these guys who speak this language like so ingrained in their life like that's right and don't often don't know the theory like me you know made me realize I probably studied a bit too much so yeah that was that was really um eye-opening and really inspiring and then you know that's still going on I think it's in May this year um, You're like the dude, like, so when you play the flat nine yeah. over the seven chord, were you thinking, like, half whole or whole half? Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel like those guys, they all have, like, crazy style, swagger, just yeah. pouring out of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you hear those cats play, you hear them just hanging with them. You're like, I'm out of my zone right now, man. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a formative little education on top of this you're still learning so let's get to the your when did right around when i met you man this is like when you were like okay should we talk about how we met i'm gonna take over the internet how did well we we met we met on a show yeah what's your side of the story on my side was i think you thought i played bass or someone thought i played bass and i didn't own a bass at the time For an yeah. off-Broadway show, um, so I went and bought a bass and said I played bass. And you know, I played bass before, but I didn't know how to read bass clef, so I did that, and th- that's how we met. That's right. Oh, I was subbing for you. No, you were playing guitar. It was anyway. It was a, it was a murky I, the, beginning. The specifics of that are that the one guitar player couldn't make the opening 
rehearsals. So they didn't want him to do the opening weekend, right? And you were and I came in at the last kind of second to do just the few rehearsals, opening weekend, and then it was the other guitar player's gig. I can't remember that name. Ray, maybe? Probably. He was a really nice guy and a wonderful guitar player. Mm -hmm. And I remember, yeah, and dude, and yeah, I remember you playing... uh, you know, like Charlie Parker has on the bass. I was like, who's <laughs> this cat, dude? This guy is killing it. And that was, I went to see that show maybe one, like in one of the weekends and it closed. And it was cool to see how much it like evolved into this just incredibly aggressive humor that like, you know, when you see it 75 times, it wasn't even phasing you guys. You're just like, mm-hmm, yeah. that's that cum dumpster <laughs> joke again. And I was just like, whoa, <laughs> what? They're like, they're blowing up. Yeah. Toby, Tobley? Mm-hmm. What are, they're they're doing, still like, doing it. They're right? still doing the Friends show. Isn't it like now on Broadway, maybe? Yeah, near Times Square. They yeah. do a lot of them, yeah. I don't know what's their current show, but their thing is parodies of TV shows, musicals, very rude, very hilarious. Very hilarious, yes. So, Sam, I remember meeting you and you telling me that you had 800 Instagram followers. <gasps> really? Yeah. Wow. And I was like, like... And I was like, yeah, like, I got a lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You were throwing it on me, and I was like, "All right, man." And then now you have what three hundred thousand plus. You have created an empire. Hmm. Right. Yes. What What inspired you? Do you just saw the potential of the web? You're like, I can do this. In fact, I remember you very clearly saying to me, "I just think people like watching someone play guitar." Right? Because I was like, I think I was even questioning. I was like, "What What's your motivation behind this?" Like, what? Like, I think people just like watching people play guitar, right? Mm. Is that still is that still the root of uh, root of it? Yeah, something the physicality of playing guitar and a video of someone playing that, and there's something about that which is very eye grabbing, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting thinking back to those early days where I didn't know really what the hell I was doing, and I was just experimenting at 800 followers and didn't know what it would become, and just trial and error and just. And, you know, rehearsal just on Instagram, just trying to figure it all out. Yeah, because I remember you were like, yeah, no one wants to look at your pictures of coffee. Because I remember seeing your Instagram and it having coffee. And then you took those all off and it was all. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy that we're talking about this because that was when it switched. That's when you made the switch, right? Because that was your first name was Pickup Jazz. Yes. And you were. Then you started using the user content, right? Tell us how this natural growth happened. Because I remember it was like you had 800 Mm. And then I came back and subbed on the show a year later, and you had you're like you had like ten thousand. Like, yeah. Yeah, why are you on the right. show, man? I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. How did that kind of how did that work itself out? So this, I guess, the biggest story is um, my dad had told me about this thing where you could make money with a website if you get high in Google ratings and you focus that website on a specific topic, mm-hmm. and then you put Google ads on there. So people do it like. Uh, on topics like holiday vacations in the Bahamas and then they write all these articles giving value and then they people click through when they Google a search and then come to your ad, you sign them up to the email. And this is how the internet kind of worked pre-2014. Like, mm. So I built a whole website using that methodology, um, but I was kind of too late to the game, missed the, missed the boat completely. Um, but then, you know, that, that was in the back of my mind, like web design, I people on the internet... I know how to play guitar. How can I make money or give value through the internet? Mm. And then discovered this guy, Gary V, New York guy, entrepreneur and social media 
probably the leading dude for that type of things. So still re- to this day? He, is he still yeah, the guru he, today? Yeah, he's yeah. number one. And he's not like a... He, he's very practical and he gives advice on what he talks about. So if anyone listening wants to explore that, check out Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, read his books, his vlogs, convinced me that social media. And then that was probably when you saw me at 800 followers, I had probably read his books at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you were like, yeah, I checked this guy out. Yeah. So he then he convinced me to take it seriously. And then it was trial and error for a good two years. And what is it now then? If it was trial and error then, mm. it's you're still in mid-process of just honing it or because you, you dropped the word jazz. Yeah, so it was pickup jazz, that was me. And then it was just me playing guitar. And then I started sharing other content. It was, and then it was not Sam Blacklock. It was, <laughs> <laughs> and then it was jazz guitar, this neo soul thing, which we we just talked about, mm-hmm. which was very popular. So it was resharing that type of thing, that grew it to like ten thousand. And then I was the curator mm-hmm. of, of that thing. This was an original. This wasn't an, an original idea at the time. Other people were doing it better, um, and it had a good head start on me. I've since overtaken them in terms of followers. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, Pick Up Jazz. Now, at the moment, it's called Pick Up, and that's all genres, all styles of music, all instruments, trying to focus more on a broader audience, so broader music like pop music and singers, songwriters, mm-hmm. um, viral videos, people on the subway, and then there's uh, under that. Oh, so that's 360,000. Then there's Pick Up Jazz, which is should be hitting 100,000 soon. That's still this neo-soul jazz, jazz guitar thing. And then my personal one has 80,000, which is just me um, taking poops on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> just, can we you edit can, that you, out? You're so, <laughs> you're so big now, man. You can do anything. Now you actually can post pictures of you just drinking coffee. In. Oh, no. I mean, it will get like 800 likes. If I post a picture of my guitar, it'll get 3,000. And I'm, I'm in the process now because I, I rode a wave on my personal one where I, you know, I got like very rapid growth to 80,000. So mm-hmm. now I've kind of just floated on that and it hasn't been growing. So now I'm thinking of ways to, um, you know, it's a great asset, 80,000 people, you know, that's, that's worth something. That's worth I something. Sh- I right? should do something with it, not you just should. like let it sit there. <laughs> You should put your own music out. I want to tell you, I where's the new a, Sam records? You know I want to release an album of solo guitar. It's going to happen, bro. When? Uh, that's right. Uh, this year. This year, 2018. I, I'm just going like, to record it in a room like this, like 157 on a guitar and just like records like six songs, like set the, set the level really low and just put music out there. There's no reason not to have it on Spotify. I agree. I agree. Just full disclosure, Sam and I were in a car, and I, I sensed your energy. You were like, ah, music, music. And I was like, I was, the, you know, I thought that was a powerful conversation because I was like, I think this guy just checks out so many guitar players all day that you were like, I can't play guitar. These guys shred guitar. I'm like, no, you have, you have such a unique and valuable voice that needs to be out there. You yeah, know? it'd be a shame not to have anything out. Yeah, right. Yeah. Did you, you have one record, the trio record, right? Is it just not online or? I did some videos, I think. It wasn't a record. No, I've never put any music out. I did the Jack Johnson stuff, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's our voice and, and, and just Check like full disclosure, they were love songs for my cats. Every one of them? Yep. 
I love that. That's beautiful. <laughs> Do you, are the cats still around? Do you miss them so much? Oh, they, they're both dead. Oh, I'm sorry, Sam. Well, maybe you can. Maybe your second like record could be like a remake of some of those songs in this solo guitar style. Yeah, I'd love to dig those out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think you should. I think we need to. I, I mean, you have. Yeah. You Thanks, man. Play. It's good to have that encouragement. Do you still? We should be wrapping this up, right? No, no, we're good. Yeah. You should. Um, so, and then now you, on top of all your skills, on top of running monstrous Instagram pages, which. Talk about talk about the drag of the, the hustle of New York City. Hmm. The hustle of the internet is like a whole other level of uh, processing, right? Like it's it drains me out. Like just one post, I'm like, all right, I'm done here. We're done here. And you're doing like how many posts a day? 10, 16, 20? Like seven. Seven? Hmm. On the different accounts. Yeah. Or yeah, so seven of my own, then I have I have like two clients oh, one now so then another one for him mm. and then stories yeah which is like multiple times a day so actual posts probably like 10 plus 10 plus it's like how uh, like bodybuilders do meal prep you have to do like post prep like your Sunday is like filming videos and prepping for the week of posts totally. right yeah like so this morning I I like try to eat my breakfast quicker because I knew that I needed to have content to put on my page. So um, I did that, and then I had like 15 minutes before I had to jump out the door to meet you. So I was like, all right, let me just grab my guitar, all right, set up my camera, all right, what am I going to do? Okay, I did like 10 takes. Here's one video, edit on the subway, and then like post it. I don't know if it's actually posted. I, I think it was posting while we were talking, so hopefully I didn't spell. There weren't any spelling errors. But um, yeah. yeah, it's this constant process of, I. It's time for me to post. I should do a repost on Pickup Jazz or Pickup, you know, or like Saturday morning, I, let's build up a, like 15 videos and then I'm good for the month. Or for a client, it's I meet this guy every two weeks. So um, we film 14 videos. So one per day for two weeks and then I post that every day. Um, and you do all the posting for the client? Yeah, yeah. which is a lot actually. You'd only that take a minute. That sounds like a full-time job <laughs> in and of itself, Sam. Oh, it only takes two minutes to post a video, but it's building that into your routine. Mm. And then, when do you practice? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're just e like, every time I sit down to practice, this is awful. I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm like, oh, let me make a video. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've done, my, I've done enough practice. I've, like, done enough to yeah. get where I am, and I have my own sound, and I can hang enough. So I'm like... So video I'm, is the shed. It's like you're shedding your, your process, right? You're like... It's kind of like... Work a, out this idea. It's a micro recording, so you try and perfect something very small, mm -hmm. and then you do it, like, ten times, and then, all right, that's the perfect one. So it is practicing in a roundabout way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it absolutely it, it's is. It's not deep practicing, like things I used to do like with a metronome for like an hour or I'd like cycle five things five minutes each and then have like a timer and then take a five minute break and then do that for four hours every day it's not that yeah it's it's a different <laughs> it's a different you're in a different thing altogether and is it like are you always trying to do original content then like when you like the record you talked about maybe mm. the six songs is that going to be all original tunes yeah yeah, little guitar songs. It's going to happen. I, and I'm trying to think of a way 
um, to kind of document the process and like little steps along the way where I can like encourage myself to do it. Um, you know, maybe I show the process of me writing the songs and then I do that on Instagram, then I make it a little bit tidier for a YouTube and then finally it's on Spotify because if I don't have like time to be like, all right, we've got a week, I'm going to write this record. So I'm just trying to figure out ways to like, game my mind so I actually, this actually happens. Yeah. Well, and then we haven't talked about this yet. So as well as managing all of this, you have a full-time job on top of all of this. Oh, oh part-time here. It's part-time here. Yeah, yeah. It's 20 hours a week of managing one of the most famous venues in the world. I mean, if not the most famous venue, right? I mean, there's, mm. that's the old joke. Like, how do you get there? Mm. You practice. Yeah. <laughs> You're here every day. Does that joke occur to you as you walk in to do your part-time job? It's like part of like the marketing um, vocabulary here. So it's like, I like don't think about that, but it's you know it's on all the the brochures. How do you? We're talking about Carnegie Hall. I don't think we said that. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. I'm here twenty. <laughs> that pays my rent, and it's re I'm really fortunate to have that to have that steadiness and not to worry about rent and have a you know an institution like this to work with. It's a great working environment, mm -hmm. and. They're flexible. They allow me to do all these other things I'm doing. Like I was in South by Southwest or over in LA for Nam um, or North Carolina or, or whatever, taking a day off here, um, heading to Ocean City for a gig next week. So that's going to be fun. So still able to do those types of things. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, I don't think there's many jobs like this. So it's awesome. They're encouraging of you developing your own career. I wouldn't say encouraging, but, <laughs> but they, they allow it. They yeah. allow it. They're like, hey, I'm gonna take two weeks off. Yeah. Uh, um, and that is that it does kind of all tie into the whole Sam Blake Lock world of like you're doing creative promotion techniques with Carnegie Hall or how to get reach a younger audience with classical music or what what specifically are you doing with that? So because it's a part time job, that means that my um, what I do here isn't that high level because if it was, then I'd be like full time. So I'm okay with that. So it's just email marketing. So just emailing 100,000 people about this, 10,000 people about this. Mm -hmm. And I'm just part of that building, routing process. So it's a lot of like, you know, being very efficient and attention to detail and, you know, processes, which my brain kind of enjoys. Mm. And do you do the coding and the pictures and the videos and the kind of the mm -hmm. creation of the content specifically, or are you the guy who packages it, sends it out? Kind of packages it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a yeah. There's a whole team. There's a creative team. There's like a marketing team which I'm in. There's a digital engagement team which I'm is like a six person team. And then I'm uh, I do the actual packaging of the email or most of the emails. Mm. And there's how many performance spaces in Carnegie Hall? I think there's, I might, I'm probably gonna get this wrong, there's at least four. There's the, there's the big stage. Which is Isaac Stern. Isaac maybe? Stern, right, which the is the one that you one. think of. And mm -hmm. then there's Zankow Hall, which is more of a late night smaller thing. Then there's the Wild Rosado Hall, which is just a beautiful small space. I've actually never been there. And then there's a couple of other smaller event spaces and also a bunch of practice rooms. And then there's a beautiful square, right? You were there's just a roof terrace, yeah. The roof terrace is its own gig which you were telling me. Yeah. They, what do they have, like, weddings, events? You can hire this out. Yeah, you can hire out the terrace and the, the rooms for, for special events. Is it, like, hedge fund managers and investment bakers who have parties there? Or is it, like, artists' release parties? Or 
Only because I'm into the invent planning portion of this. Yeah. yeah this is like listeners were like, what? But I, I'm sure it's like weddings and, you know, corporate dinners and those type of things. Yeah. And when they need solo guitar, they call Sam. They're like... Oh, uh, once they've called me. They, they should call me more. <laughs> they should hit you up. Like, hit me up. Come on. I'm right here. I can come in with my stuff, man. <laughs> That's awesome. So this is beautiful. This all ties together. And then what's the future hold besides making a record of six songs? Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for the encouragement for that. I really want to push that. Um, so, so I've built this audience right now. It's figuring out what's next. Mm. Also not getting comfortable because I moved pretty early on and built this Instagram thing. So right now we're looking at different platforms and... You know, I formed a company and we're figuring out different uh, revenue models. There's like three happening right now, or which we're considering. And so it's just seeing how we can scale this to continue uh, continue to like curate the best music and, um, you know, establishing ourselves in LA, New York, and also London. And London. And it will be like, do you see it moving the educational route? Is it moving just like a, it's going to be a record label route? It's like its own thing. It's just a curation of... The best guitar clips, John Mayer's solo, plus. So it's really like whoever. a community of people who like live music, and then it's artists who incorporate live elements in their performance. Mm. Um, so not a singer with a DJ, but maybe a singer with you know some type of instrumentality. So it's really we want to be the biggest voice or brand within that movement mm. um, for like a younger audience under like thirty-five, and figuring out ways. You know, whether that's through masterclasses with artists in that scene so that sharing that value or live events or, um, you know, there's lots of things to explore. So, you know, it's like creating a business out of what I've created. Yeah. That's where I'm at right now. Just kind of taking it to the next level. Do you ever take a day off, Sam? I mean, do you, what do you do for fun? Do you like skateboard? Do you like scream into a pillow just to like, you know, like relieve the stress? Yeah. I've got one thing. Yeah. All right. So I've started playing Fortnite. <laughs> Get out of here! You play Fortnite now, Yaga, bro. I'm just really, really, really bad that like, I play three games and then I give up. Um, I've only played about six games, so that's as far as I go. But I, I watch uh, Ninja. He streams. He was playing with Jake uh, Drake last night, so yeah, you know that's fun. <laughs> no, I do. I run and I do yoga, and that's about it. You are a runner, and you bike, right? Too, you're a bicyclist. Not as much anymore? Uh, yeah, I have a bike. <laughs> <laughs> you don't bike in the midtown? What hood are you in? Flushing? Jackson Heights. No. Um, Forest Hills. Forest Hills, which is the poshest neighborhood in all of Queens, my man. Is it? Gotta be. I walked around that neighborhood. I went to a show at the tennis stadium. Huh. And yeah, it depends which side of the highway you're on. Okay. Did you see the houses by the tennis Yeah, they're, they're huge. Yeah, yeah. I was like... Yeah, they're kind of extravagant, over the top. Over the top? Yeah. Have you seen a show in that venue? Forest Hills, no. It's, it's wild. It's nuts. Yeah. But there's, a, there's a one massive problem with it, and it's like going to see a concert in the park is that there's a cap on the volume. Oh, really? So it's a quiet... Yeah, I think it's like capped at like maybe 90 or 80 or something. So you're, you're at this massive rock show, and we're t you could be talking to each other just like this because it's a residential area. Wow. It's really interesting, yeah. Because I live close enough to it that I can hear it, but it's it's not always too much. It's not too much, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's it. Was it was why I was like, why is this not? And I was like, 
we're in a residential neighborhood huh. and it's capped. And the sh- the show I was at was cool enough that I I knew the band. I got to go backstage and there's mm. you like you get to wander through these like old tennis hallways and like the backstage entrances of back. It's just a it's a kitschy, cool old venue, but. Yeah. As a rock and roller, the the volume cap like bummed me out. Wow. Sam, the other thing I was thinking about is why when you release this record or record this record, this is I'm talking off the dome here, but you should record it live right here in one of these cool rooms and video it. Or, yeah, yeah, and have an audience like uh, the Snarky oh. Puppy scene does. Yeah, yeah. I just I probably screw it up too many times. <laughs> Your audience be like, check it out. We're gonna do that track one more time. Everybody just chill. Yeah. No, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have this crazy space, Sam Blaylock, live at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Well, it can be the follow-up to the first record that's, like, yeah. studio-tight. Yeah. Run, yoga, you eat just avocados. You live this incredibly disciplined life, man. Do I? I doesn't feel disciplined, bro, but I, I, I aspire to be disciplined, but also I have fun, so that's the goal. It's not, yeah, you're not, like, off the rails, like, uh, all right, it's Tuesday. Going out till four. Yeah, and, and I'm also not like I, I only eat avocados in the morning, and I don't eat carbohydrates, and I and I only eat the, these. I only eat that sweet green. <laughs> <laughs> Organic. No, but like I like trying to cut carbohydrates, cut, trying to cut sugar, try and run every morning as soon as I wake up, try and drink a bunch load of, of water, try and shop at Trader Joe's and buy burritos, so I never have to buy lunch over here and save money, you know, these type of things. I'm always just trying to, like, improve on. I'm, like, getting back into cold showers, you know, these type of things. You doing the Wim Hof thing? You do the cold showers, too? Yeah, he's the ice bucket guy, right? Yeah, well, he's the one who loved... I mean, I feel like he kind of started that whole thing. Yeah, I think so, yeah. He was, like, the dude who, whatever, climbs Everest shirtless or whatever and believes that the cold is... Yeah. Uh, you do that too? You have cold glowing, showers. beautiful skin, so you, I can tell. I should know. I should have known that you're a cold shower guy. Yeah, I've been doing that for like two years. I stopped in winter because it it's kind of tough in the winter where I'd like put a little bit of warm on there. But yeah, cold showers are better than a cup of coffee. Smacks you in the face. You do it at the end of the shower? Uh, the whole thing. You take a whole cold shower? Yeah, this morning was the first time all winter where I was... 100% cold because um, I you know you know winter's pretty tough in New York so I, I wasn't able to like take and it's that. been a cold 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 yeah, spring it's kind of been awful yeah yeah but it's it's really great yeah yeah complete cold things often it takes me five minutes to like work myself up to like get in the shower you're but- out of your mind though <laughs> You are truly out of your mind. Like this is this interview has been so revealing to me, and to that that you are truly you're truly out of your mind. <laughs> it's crazy. So, dog, hold on, hold on. This is like at eight in the morning. You are gearing, you're keying yourself up for five minutes to get into a cold shower. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's two minutes. Maybe it's a minute. But it's like what it is. Um, the thinking is it's like a mental barrier, right? Like cold shower it sucks right horrible it's not a it's not enjoyable and actually i always think i've never had a cold a bad cold shower though every time you have a cold shower you walk out you always feel great so that's what gets me in there but it is like the initial in the wall but if you can overcome that challenge then anything throughout the day it's is easy. is easy compared to that so if the, that's the idea of doing something challenging challenging in the morning whether that's a run whether that's a cold shower whether that's 50 press-ups 
Yeah, that's that is it is true. It makes the rest of the day easier, right? Yeah, you're like I have mastered this. No, but I didn't know that. I thought the well, I'm learning. You know, you learn something every day if you pay attention. But this idea that <laughs> I thought the cold shower thing was like you take a normal shower at the end of the shower, <laughs> you just hit a little bit of cold. <laughs> you're like, you are full on <laughs> taking a cold shower. That sounds so horrifying. Like, I'm so proud of you, and I'm so happy to learn this, but I don't know if I can necessarily, uh... I, tomorrow I will take a cold shower and, like, report back to you Please. on this. Yeah, yeah. You have to... It gets easier, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're hitting a cold shower for five minutes, I think that it would be really easy to post a video of playing guitar online. You're like, yeah, it'll be good enough. Here you go. I took a cold shower today. Yeah. <laughs> and then you do yoga too? I've, I do yoga with Adrian. <coughs> Who's she's Adrian? a YouTuber. If you type in yoga on YouTube, she's the number one um, person. 30 days of yoga. We're on day 16 now. <laughs> Is it 30 minutes of yoga or 10? Yeah, 30, yeah. 30 minutes every day. This is after your cold shower? I mean, I've only on day 16, so I, I wouldn't call myself a yogi at this point. But this is in the evenings. This is what you do to decompress. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, my mind is racing. This is like meditation and exercise in one thing. Mm -hmm. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Is that what you do before you go to bed? Do you read books? Or I should, you... yeah. Usually I just work until I fall asleep. You work and then you're like, oh my god, it's late. it's one a.m. Yeah, it's one a.m. I have to get up and take a cold shower at seven. Yeah, <laughs> I have a frog in my throat, but that is maybe the best story I've heard in a while. A lot of people take cold showers. You'll be surprised. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. No, I know it's a thing, but I didn't know the full cold shower. You are, I think yeah, some people it's at the end. You know. Yeah. You're an incredibly disciplined person, man. I, I imagine that not this... Not at all, man. Not at all. Your modesty is adorable, but absolutely not necessary. You're very, very much... Well, man, seriously. Thank you for hanging out. We yeah, bro. You know, this is good. That is... I, ending on a cold shower to me seems like... I feel a little motivated right now to just go and... Sweet. <laughs> change my life. Yeah. You're an inspiration for everybody. Thank you for everything that you do. You Thanks know? for having me, man. Thank you for coming here. You're truly secret famous, though. But I told Sam. He's famous, yeah. I told Sam, I was like, I think he's actually famous. Like, people people recognize you. And you're, you're niche famous, as you said, yes. Mm. Like, how often are you walking down the street and someone's like, is that the pickup jazz guy? It, Give us that best story. Give us, maybe close with the best. Come on, you're at South By. You're at, <laughs> you're at Numb. And someone's like, is that the pickup jazz guy? It's usually if I go to, like, Times Square Guitar Center, someone will likely recognize me or, you know, they, someone who works there be like, oh, you're this guy. And and then, you know, that's usually where it is. Or if I go to a certain type of gig in a certain type of audience, then they'll, like, recognize me. Um, Do people, like, take their selfie with you? That's I've the probably got, like, autograph. 10 selfies in, with me in my life. That's about it. And people are like, oh, my God, it's Sam. Right? Yeah. Only 10? Yeah. What about at South By? Oh, maybe it's like 50. Oh, yeah. It's got to be more. <laughs> and how was South By? You were there for Carnegie Hall, not for your own thing or for pickup? Oh, that was pickup. That was pickup? Yeah, press coverage. Was uh, that your first? Mm. Have you done that before? I've done it a bunch, yes. All right. And um, I, my South By experiences have been that I have done it on the very indie rock thing where I'm sleeping on the floor. Yeah. 
um, with like some different projects with like the Nightmare River Band and this artist Jay Stolar, and uh, I did it with this other cool artists too, Alex Johnson, Charlene Kay. But then two years ago, I did it with the um, the news anchor Joe Scarborough mm. that I was telling you about, and that was flights in uh, a hotel on Sixth Street, and we were fed like kings and mm. here while all this is going on i'm sleeping in the cushiest my own mm. room with this incredible so i was like i don't know if i can that's the way to do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> we had these ridiculous gigs like in a church in a beautiful venue and i was incredibly comfortable and yeah. it's like i was completely spoiled from the experience you know yeah. I mean? did you guys were you crashing with friends or were you did you have it was it was a bit of both. It was the first night was in this uh, this artist loft space, and it was there was like blood on the mattresses, and we like scraped together a bread, and it was like thirty people staying in the building. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the best. Yeah. And but then we went into a nice Airbnb, so that was all right. Good. Yeah. And were you just covering all of the specific guitar players, or kind of the uh, we just what did artists a in particular? Pass, so. I was mainly focusing on artists who I had a relationship with, so you know I hit them up and then we did some content. And I was there with this app called Treble, who are based out of New York and they do live shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so they took us down, which, which is awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Do you want to go there again? Yeah, I want to uh, one curate day, a like- show next time I do that, like yeah. and uh, curate the artist lineup for one night, maybe like four artists who. I work with and I think that'd be a great way to do it mm. and get it paid for by um, I don't know a company Diet Sprite <laughs> <laughs> yes Pickup Jazz and Diet Sprite presents yep. four is there even a Diet Sprite Sprite Zero Sprite Zero you're right it's mm. Sprite Zero Which I don't, you like Sprite no you don't drink sugar you don't even consume sugar Try not to. You did just get a piece of white chocolate in your coffee. Yeah. Oh, but you but you did do you did curate a show at Nam, right? Oh yeah, we did two shows in two house shows in LA. Yeah. And how did those come out? Was it awesome or incredible, man? Just the lineup was crazy. Each of those artists probably could have. You know, there's a range of artists, but they sell out like 200 plus, you know, venues, and there was like six of them, and they, you know, were just hanging out. It must have been incredible, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A highlight for sure. A highlight for those fans too, like people checking them out, like they're getting to hang out. Like house concerts are actually the best concerts, right? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was all just very thrown together by me, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was only like 50 person uh, people. You know, there was like a huge like. 300 person wait list to get in and it, there was two of the shows and definitely they're getting next year and planning the uh, mid-year one right now in LA beautiful that's awesome mm. well Sam alright here yeah. let's conclude give us yeah. give the young give us give the young uh, the young listener now nah, it doesn't have to be young I'm not into ageism give any musician one piece of advice then how about because I feel like you're you're a guru on advice and it costs money to get this advice from you, so only give us the free ones, you know, the ones we can get for free. You don't have to give us the, uh, you're a guru. What? Even you could speak to yourself. Oh, yeah, I got it. All right. So uh, if you're a musician, 
first of all, you've got to be good at music, your craft, but also we're living in an age where you have this incredible tool in front of you. It's your cell phone and it's connected to the internet and it's connected to millions of other people. And if you use that in uh, combination with your skills, um, you're going to reach a lot of people. So, you know, work on both. And, you know, just a little, little bit of trial and error, give it a go, figure out, you know, which platform, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, whatever. All musicians should check it out. And if you're not using it, you're like missing out on a huge opportunity. And uh, you should take it seriously today because doors open, you know, it's real people, real money, traveling, all those types of things. And this isn't restricted to people who are pro musicians. This is if you're starting guitar, this is if you're you're a hobbyist guitarist or starting out to write songs or anything, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sam, thank you. Thank you. Cue the outro music. <laughs>